Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, robots, why did it have to be robots? This is why I hate machines. Exactly. <laughs> Remodeling machines. <laughs> Remodeling in general. Uh, that's my robot. That's my machine. Okay, right, so... Uh, Decepticons. Decepticons, transform and rise up. Hey there, folks. Welcome back for another thrilling episode of Two Mikes, Two Furious Animated Transformers. My name is Mike Seibert, and with me, as always, is Michael Andrews. And you know what? We're just going to pick up right where we left off as we continue our coverage of Transformers Animated Season 2, Episode 1, as we discuss the namesake of this episode. I might even call them titular. Join us now as we meet the Elite Guard. Right. Right. Well, and enough pleasure delaying on my part. I, I've been building up this moment because I, I love this. You know, you know, the hatch opens, the hatch opens, the steam comes out, and you see what is my favorite uh, Transformers insignia in in all of. Uh, maybe I have one that I like a little bit more, but but the Autobot Elite Guard symbol with the the Autobot symbol with the with the wings sort of coming off of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Chef's kiss, French kiss. This is what I love the most. I mean, when I think about Transformers tattoos, this one's top of the list for me. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's really cool. And and it immediately uh, just from like a visual cue looks decidedly different than what we've seen so far. That this is this is something that has like, you know, rank and power and significance. Yeah. So it comes through the steam. It's this great shot. And then and then you know, we start rising up and, and boom, we get Sentinel prime, my favorite character, at least favorite designed character. That's so awesome to see. Then we get a new bot that we don't know who this is yet. That's very exciting. And then, Oh my freaking God, ultra freaking Magnus with his freaking hammer. Like, yeah, baby, this is what I came for. This is what I bought my ticket for. Yeah. Yeah. Comes down the ramp, all his glory. So the so we have we have the elite guard uh, as we're seeing them. So so the new face is Jazz. We've seen Sentinel. We know Ultra Magnus. Uh, we know Ultra Magnus only from like clandestine calls. Uh, he's always been you know a, a little pop up on a you know an instant message from Ultra Magnus type of a thing. Um, but now we get now we get this new bot. Uh, did you right away? Mike, know that this was jazz. Was this, uh, I mean, I guess I've had, you know, the opportunity for multiple viewings. Did you go, oh, jazz, when you first saw this character? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, so it's like one of the things that that is that, that we've talked about lovingly about the the TFA designs is for the most part, even though there are liberties taken, they still evoke the spirit of of the character. I, I would still say the exception to that is Prowl. Like, I guess he's the exception that proves the rule instead of the exception to the rule. But like uh, Bumblebee, uh, Optimus Prime, uh, Ratchet, uh, yeah. Megatron, Starscream, uh, even Blitzwing. All of those, uh, Black Arachnia, um, all, all of those characters, even though they are put through the Derek J. Wyatt kaleidoscope and through the Transformers animated prism, there still 
easily identifiable as those iconic characters. And this take on jazz is very much the same thing. It's like, you know, when, when you see a dude standing there with race car bits and a bitchin' <laughs> visor, you know it's jazz. Yeah. It's like you can look at that and and it doesn't help that I've seen jazz toys already and all all that other stuff. But but still it's like I, I know jazz is is part of uh the cast. But yeah, no, I I guess since we're here, I mean I guess we we could kind of talk a little more about the character designs because we're we're seeing them like, you know, kind of here like basically in a hero shot, literally. Yeah. And yeah, they uh um Jazz looks so cool. And like I've uh I've seen so much fan art that has uh you know re recontextualize uh jazz as like a like a human former type thing, you know, usually with like, you know, like a lithe bodysuit and stuff. And I I could see I could see where that aesthetic comes from now because like it, in a weird way, and this isn't um um uh, it, it's not a criticism, but of the characters we've seen jazz actually looks the most human he he looks right. like a he looks like a dude doing cosplay or like a like like a dude that's you know like uh almost like a cyborg type thing because like everything from like his chest down to his legs just with like the 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 sleekness where you know no belt no space diaper no nothing it's just right. it's yeah it's i mean almost kind of looks like uh, uh like nanosec in a way just in terms of like how sleek his uh his design is and what i love um you know not to jump too far ahead but like that that is for like a a very specific reason that um they add some new cool stuff to to jazz's character uh but yeah no i um i i i i love everything about this design like um you give me the visor and you give me the the vague Porsche front. Like, you know, there, there are certain design cues that I like. Like I I like the uh the Dotson bros with like, you know, like like you know, plow prowling blue streak and smoke screen with like their door wings and stuff. Yeah. So if like a TFA version of like Blue Streak came out and like if he had like the car parts and the door wings, I'd be ah, oh, that's blue streak, that kind of thing. To me, like with those specific style of headlights and the visor it's like that's jazz but yeah. then but then you look at it and they add new stuff like like the uh the the headphones that he's got right like right. like if you look like his head crest and stuff it looks like he's got headphones built in it's it's a very well designed character i i love this this uh um this take on jazz and you know we'll we'll, we'll talk about sentinel um more because like we we've seen him already so yeah but but we'll have more to say in a bit but like this is i think the first time we've seen ultra magnus in in full like like you said yeah. he's always been in like zoom calls from like you know like the, <laughs> right. the from the neck up basically <laughs> um but to, ultra but magnus to, you're muted uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i no, can't uh, deal with that now <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, well, actually, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that line because uh, how how can you not when we're talking about Ultra Magnus? But uh, yeah, the design is beautiful. But uh, want to get into the voices real quick because we do get a soundbite from all the new characters uh, right in this hero shot. It's like a, a vocal hero shot too. Um, so you get Ultra Magnus sounds very you know Robert Stackish right off the bat. Definitely has that cadence, and I didn't know who voiced him until I looked it up for this episode. Good old uh, Jeff Triple Threat Bennett. 
uh, doing another voice here. So yeah, he's he's the voice of Ultramace. Didn't see that coming. Very, very surprised. He's everybody at this point. I mean, you said triple threat. It's like quadruple threat. Let, let's yeah, oh, let's go th- let's go through it. You've got he is the angry archer. He he's Captain Fanzone. He's Prowl. He's uh he's Soundwave for goodness sakes. Yeah. And and now he's Ultra Magnus. So that that's an infinity gauntlet of uh of iconic characters for uh for Mr. Jeff Glenn Bennett there. Really very different characters too. Uh yeah. ne- like never would have guessed. Well, I hadn't. I hadn't until we started doing this show. I never would have guessed that this was uh, this was all the same guy. They're they're so different from each other. Um, and then and then Jazz gets a really cool uh, celebrity voice here. We got Phil Lamar, Big Daddy here of voice acting. You know, I I most notably think of um, maybe isn't everybody's, but uh, Kit Fisto from Clone Wars. Kit Fisto is my favorite uh, Jedi character, and so that they got Phil Lamar to do the voice of that uh, was a great. And and he also voiced uh, Hermes on Futurama, and I think that's why he probably got the uh, voice of Kit Fisto from Clone Wars. And he's also an excellent Green Lantern in my favorite series, animated series, The Justice League. Oh my gosh! Iconic, yeah. The the yeah. John Stewart Green Lantern. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, well, like Phil Lamar is one of those folks that that's kind of like transcended. He's kind of like in that 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 upper echelon of folks. Like he he's done he's done uh, TV work. Um, he's he's um, you know he, he, prolific, iconic voice actor. Um, People forget sometimes that he's in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He uh, un- he takes a uh, unfortunate car ride with uh, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. He uh, it- it's a it's a very small role, but it's like it's like. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck did you do that? Well, I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. Oh man, I seen some crazy ass shit in my time. But just chill out, man. I told you it was an accident. <laughs> Poor Marvin. Poor one out for Marvin. But right, um, right. Well, I was gonna say, uh, uh, put on a tux because we're about to date ourselves. Uh, he he's an alum of uh, Mad TV. Uh, Mad TV sketch comedy. And I was gonna say, are you Mad TV fan, or were you like, you know, are you? Team Mad TV, Team SNL. When it comes to sketch comedy, I uh, I I don't I I'm not I'm not partisan. Like you know I I I remember being super into Mad TV like the first season, like um like since it's Mad, like I I was really into the, like the parodies and stuff. Like I still think about like Gump Fiction like all the time. <laughs> like this summer, you won't know the Gump until you see the fiction. Yeah. And right. so yeah, so right. like that that's that's like one of the the more iconic bits that that um uh this sticks with me and I believe Phil Lamar actually is like the the Samuel L. Jackson character in the in that parody if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that fits. <laughs> um yeah, I mean I I I liked it as much as anything else. I don't uh I, I'm not I'm not a huge SNL guy. I'm not really a huge uh late night weekend uh sketch comedy guy just like in uh, in general unfortunately well, i am if it's not clear from every quote or joke i ever tell but i was uh, gonna say I, tell me more i i yeah i'm not gonna go into it now but I, if you ask any of my coworkers, i romanticize quite a bit about saturday night live like everything about saturday night live fascinates me the the, the fast writing process the after party the live performance i just think it's the hardest job in hollywood um yeah 
yeah, I could go on and on, but uh, I won't. But but it was cool. I guess <laughs> long story short, it is exciting to see uh, Phil Lamar in another role in a Transformers role. Finally, we get we scored him, uh, the big voice actor Phil Lamar. Yeah, well, and, and in a important role and an iconic character because you know you you think of the echelon of Transformers characters, and while Jazz for most isn't necessarily like at the top uh for me he's like the the top of the next tier so meaning like you know you got like i don't know your your top 7s like you you know, optimus bumblebee megatron soundwave starscream grimlock yeah I guess Jazz would maybe be number seven on that, something like that. Uh, that's unranked, by the way. That That's just off the top of my head of like characters you think of when you think of the Transformers. You know, who, who yeah. comes to mind? Yeah, totally. the dinosaur guy, the cassette guy, the red truck guy, the gun guy, the jet guy, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. But like, it, it's interesting in both of these vocal performances for uh, Phil Lamar as Jazz, and also uh, Jeff Bennett as Ultra Magnus, they are evoking the spirit of what came before without doing a, a complete impression. Actually, you know, I'm going to walk that back because Jeff Bennett is just straight up doing a, uh, a Robert Stack impression. I mean, it's like there, there's, there's no two ways about it. So I think I need to uncouple that from the Phil Lamar discussion sure. because, because what Phil Lamar is doing is he's... He's doing a riff on Scatman Crothers, but not uh, making a specific acting choice to not do exactly the same thing. It's a it's a little less, um, you know, if I if I could use a a term to um, not sound bigoted, but um, it's a little less jivey than than Scatman Carruthers because like you know that guy was like cool as a pack of menthol cigarettes. You know, it's just like sure. there's just something about that. Sort of a radio DJ uh, almost, or, or of that time period at least. Absolutely, absolutely, and and an iconic performance uh, for an iconic character. So, I I like the choices that Phil Lamar makes in that. Like again, you can hear it, and it sounds like it, and it sounds like how it's supposed to, but it doesn't sound as stereotypical. And it also doesn't sound like he's just trying to do the same thing. You can you can hear the acting through the voice work. It's like so if, if this was like a biopic yeah. type of situation, it's like you know you would uh, you would appreciate the the nuance and subtlety. Whereas uh, again, the the Jeff Bennett Ultra Magnus is is very unsubtle. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. But yeah, I, I was I was really vibing with it, especially like. The uh, uh, this exchange on the ramp tells you everything you need to know about these characters because, like, one of the things that that's so iconic about Jazz is like he loves Earth, he loves Earth culture, and like even here when Sentinel's like, "Oh God, they're gross," um, he's <laughs> like, "He's like, what's going on here? You know, let, let's. I I really want to check this out. That this has really got." got my curiosity aroused and instead we have legislation about uh about slime and, and whatnot <laughs> yeah it almost makes you wonder about the modeling of jazz and and even in universe like did he sort of 
already have this affection towards other species or organics, this sort of organics obsession that we see him come to later. Uh, maybe that was kind of choosing uh, how he presents himself as a transformer. Uh, you know, it, it, and it works out to his benefit because the very uh, thing that he becomes interested in, uh, you know, also welcomes him and maybe his presence, his appearance sort of, you know, takes its cue from that. Exactly. And and through this, though, we get a glimpse into Sentinel's mindset and you get to see oh, a, yeah. a, a display of his bigotry and, and his prejudice. Yeah. And and what you realize is that Ultra Magnus might have a little bit of that as well, because immediately like you know it's like so the autobots you know roll up and they salute and it's like oh man you know you know uh supreme commander you know great to see you and all all that other stuff and you know all business no sentiment it's like it's an chance set up a force shield to quarantine us from those organics gross gross you know it's like those those things look disgusting yeah and well and and to that effect, though, um, we can also it also makes sense because we also see Sentinel why he, we we know why Sentinel has that approach, and I think that was a really smart point to be like, yeah, he he is the shitty character here. He is the one that's like very anti-human, anti-organic, but at the same time, he's the one that's had the run in. Uh, Optimus even had to overcome this a little bit. Sentinel, you know, his his fear uh, and bigotry got to go unchecked back on Cybertron. Yeah, and I, I, I do kind of like this, uh, uh, this line from Fanzone here. While, while while this is while this is happening, he's like, "Robots, why did it have to be robots?" Yes, that's such a great line. He, he's 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 had his fill of robots. It's it's not quite a. This is why I hate machines. I mean, we're gonna get one a real good one later, but yeah. Well, yeah, it was almost sort of like a like a well, it it was unexpected, right? It was it was it was time for him to get his signature line, and he gave us that instead, which was very funny yeah. and very surprising for me. I like that a lot. He, he uh, improved on the day. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what it was. A real yes and situation. Well, what I was trying to get to is sort of like the writer even was like, uh, you know, subverting expectations. Right? He's like, oh, this is the perfect place to drop the fan zone line. I'm not gonna do it. He sort of last Jedi did a little bit. Yeah. Well, and and again, from what you know, spoilers alerts for for later in the episode. It's like, in a sense, I wonder if he wrote it here. And then it's like, no, let me do it here. You know, like, like save it, that, that kind yeah. of thing. Cause, cause that, that plays so hard when, uh, um, uh, when it happens. But, um, basically, like, uh, the, the, this force shield is erected. Sorry, can't get in, which, uh, immediately, uh, causes tension. And, you know, it's like, is it, is it here where the decision is made? It's like, oh, well, yeah decontaminate these yeah. uh the, the these grease goons or what whatever a uh, slanderous uh, uh terminology they come up with for, for yeah. these guys yeah so they so right so the bubble goes up sorry's on the outside our heroes get decontaminated um and uh, something very important just a little nice little scene here um bulkhead whispers to bumblebee how sentinel doesn't remember them and that's just how i want to keep it and i think that's a great little uh secret foreshadowing of what's to come but that's that's just another example of in this show uh something that is going to pay off later that i totally missed the first time around uh really great writing well and it's funny because like when i when i 
watched the episode first, I had forgotten the links of communication after they find the Allspark in, in, in that first episode. It's like, so I thought that that's what that was a reference to, where it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, that that time that Sentinel knew we had the Allspark, he, he you know, surely he he knows the crew manifest of uh, of that of that particular, uh, you know, space bridge repair crew. Yeah. But when it could easily be that, right? But it seems that there there's more than meets the eye with uh, with this particular <laughs> thing. I like this. Uh, this bit here where, where they're getting sprayed down and it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's an audio blink and you miss it. Like everybody's grumbling about it, you know, talking about how it's all excessive. You know, they, they think it's a, a excessive and Prowl says here, it's like, it's not like we've got space barnacles. I don't know if you, I don't know hey, if oh, you I caught didn't catch that. that at all. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Prowl's got like a mouthful of water, and he's just like, "Not, it's not like we got space particles or anything." Oh, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, say? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, uh, but but Sentinel is, is just taking all of the delight in this, you know, calling them grease grunts and just like just just being a real asshole about it. And at one point, he tells Optimus, like, oh, can't risk an infestation, old buddy. Take it like a real bot. And it's like, what does that mean? Yeah, he's uh, he's he's real cantankerous here. He's real. He's a real old bot. Uh, this guy, he's a he is a boomer bot as they come. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, so we find out from this scene uh, after the decontamination that the elite guards arriving in response to sort of a distress call. Uh, you know, for basically from the first episode of TFA, like they, I guess it's implied that they've sort of been tracking the Allspark this entire time, or tracking this crew down uh, to to get to Earth, and they're sort of arriving, you know, just on time, quote unquote. <laughs> right, a little little late to the party, but uh, fine. <laughs> That's all right. And so, but it's great. It makes for great tension because here's our, our beloved crew trying to explain that the Allspark was destroyed in battle with the Decepticons. Sentinel doesn't buy it. There's no proof of it now, right? Like, uh, you know, the, 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 there's no Allspark fragments. There's nothing to show for it. There's no Decepticon signatures anywhere on Earth. And that is really interesting uh, because now we're like, well, what happened to them all? Um, that's a really great little mystery nugget. I love when they do little mini cliffhangers like that. And Bumblebee thinks it's because, you know, he, I think this is great because Bumblebee, Bumblebee honestly thinks it's like, it was us. We took care of the problem, but, but nobody's <laughs> buying that. I don't even know if Bumblebee himself buys that, but, but the question is raised. And then, and then lo and behold, we get cut to Lugnut and Blitzwing in a cave and we're like, okay, we're going to get some answers right away. Nice little payoff. I had a little bit of a, uh, a different take on the climax of that scene because like something we had talked about very early on that, that you've reminded us uh, several times of Michael Andrews is that Decepticons are the boogeyman. There, there are very few Autobots who have actually seen Decepticons. Right. And so to me, the attitude of both uh, Sentinel and even Ultra Magnus, like in my notes, I wrote in all caps, Ultra Magnus is a dick. Sentinel is a dick because um, like <laughs> both of them are in tandem. Like I, I, I was I was kind of off put by the level of disbelief that these guys have and the lack of concern 
that they that they have found this crew of Autobots. Like regardless of the AllSpark, regardless of the Decepticons, these Autobots have been missing for over 50 years. Now, we've we've discussed the passage of time in the past, but again, like I I I'm put off by the coldness of obviously Sentinel I get because he he's got beef, but like Ultra Magnus, the the Magnus, the the Supreme Commander of the Autobots being so dispassionate about his troops is is really kind of upsetting and speaks to his character but i also thought that you know you throw in like you know has magnus seen decepticons has sentinel seen decepticons i don't know who has had interactions with decepticons at this point so i think there is a little bit of like i don't want to believe it i don't want to believe that Megatron is alive. I don't want to believe that that the Decepticons have somehow returned. Um, I mean, they're being kind of like flat earthers at this point. It's like, you know, I just keep keep my head in the sand. And it's just like, I'm just going to stick to my my beliefs. I don't know if this is shades of the corrupt Senate from from like the IDW comics, but it seems like the the apathy of these two guys is uh, is a little upsetting. Well, I think it's two things. I think it. I think it is that no one's seen a Decepticon in a long time. It's kind of uh, bullshit at this point. But I also think uh, you have to remember that we're sort of seeing a, uh, a a current military commander seeing one of his dishonorably discharged uh, troops that he hasn't seen in a long time. You know, the, mm. the the backstory between him and Optimus is, I'm sure you know, he should, he should be there instead of Sentinel, I think is the vibe that we're getting. Like he, he should be ultra Magnus's right-hand man. There's probably a level of disappointment that ultra Magnus feels in Optimus um, that, that is even worse than just a normal discharge troop. That was probably going to be his, his Vader uh, for lack of a better reference. And now, and now he's here just uh, talking on his ass about boogeyman, as you said. That's interesting. I, I wonder if in subsequent episodes I pick up on that a little more than I did because like I think I was too focused on the bigotry and complacency and apathy uh, of Ultra Magnus and, and certainly Sentinel. But like, I mean, again, Ultra Magnus does not seem like he's concerned with a lot. It, it really is kind of like, you know, we, we mentioned the uh, I can't deal with this line. Uh, earlier from from eighty six movie Ultra Magnus and that and that was a line given out of frustration. I feel like this version of Ultra Magnus would say the same thing, but not out of emotional outburst or frustration, but out of apathy. This this, mm. this Ultra Magnus seems to be incredibly aloof. Like as we discuss the actual action of the episode, if you notice his movements, he doesn't move a lot. Like literally yeah. his, his static pose is just, you know, holding the hammer and, you know, standing, um, you know, it, it, it's fascinating that like there, there's obviously like the comparisons to Thor, you know, cause he, you know, wields a, a seemingly mystical hammer in some way, but yeah. my take, at least in the, this early going of meeting Ultra Magnus, he's not Thor, he's Odin. Oh, hundred percent. He, he's he's the Anthony Hopkins Odin, you know. Yeah. Again, very very detached and emotionless and and aloof. 
Very interesting. Yeah, and, and to carry that metaphor a little further, I think he wanted to pass that hammer to Optimus. And I think that's where some of the tension here we're seeing. Uh, that's you know. interesting. I, I, I love all that. That that's that's going to be very. That's going to be an interesting prism to to look at this uh, uh, dynamic through as we continue. So yeah, we cut to uh, Lugnut and Blitzwing in a cave. This sort of answers at least partially that the Decepticons weren't destroyed, weren't uh, blown up completely. We have we have two mostly whole robots right off the bat. Lugnut yeah. and Blitzwing. Um, but it raises even more questions because they're not dead, but they're avoiding the signature traces somehow. Then we pan back a little further. We find out Megatron is still there, uh, answering the question by saying that the the carbon deposits, this cave that they're in, uh, must have carbon deposits that are shielding them from the detection. So now now they have time. They can they can buy their time and and regroup and come up with a new plan. And that's exactly what we see happening here. It's interesting that we see that um, Lugnut is always spoiling for a fight, but you could also tell right away that these cons are not quite back up to snuff. Dude's arm falls off, like like in the middle of like oh glorious purpose and stuff, and yeah. and and to to Lugnut's credit, it does nothing to deter him. Right, right. Uh, he also still has a major crush on Megatron. That uh, becomes clear right away. So that's kind of nice to see. Yeah. Um, and he's very curious to hear about Megatron's new plan. And it sounds like Megatron's got a sight set on Cybertron. With Allspark gone, Megatron uh, is looking into uh, space bridge technology. It looks like it's sort of a, a almost a dark of the moon uh, plot where they're trying to like you know, bring Cybertron back or like jump to it or use the space bridge somehow in the, in the plot. Isn't that also that G1 plot too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, countdown to extinction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, or something to doom or some such like that. I always, I always get, I always get those two ultimate doom. I think I'm thinking ultimate of doom, fan, fan, which, which I, episode. yeah. And I, I, I always get those two, uh, uh, mixed up. Um, but but it's interesting too because like I I appreciate Megatron's self awareness here because he says he's like two things led to our defeat in the Great Wars the Allspark and the Autobots exclusive space bridge technology. I find the this phrasing interesting. He says they're exclusive space bridge technology. And I think that's kind of an interesting subversion because space bridge tech is for for fans of a certain age usually associated with uh, Decepticon technology. Yeah, right. Very similar to like Energon cubes. You know, it's like that. That's something that's more associated with with Decepticons than with Autobots. So, like when Optimus says in like the opening of Transformers the movie, "We don't have enough Energon cubes to power," I'm like. I remember being like seven, being like, why do Autobots need Energon cubes? That's weird. But <laughs> but anyway, it's like, but yeah, no, I've always I've always associated space bridge technology with with Decepticons. So it's interesting to have that that flipped. And for Megatron to acknowledge that is specifically Autobot exclusive technology, like they haven't um they they haven't tried to come up with their own answer over these millennia. It's it's odd, but he says something to the effect that he's he during his time, 
um, you know, all uh, incapacitated and and wired to the World Wide Web, eBay. Um, you know, he got he got he got his digital hands on some space bridge schematics, but that they're incomplete. But uh, yo, dude's got a plan, and it's uh, none other than the proclaimed master of reverse engineering himself. Isaac Sumdak has been uh, living in a jar this uh, this whole time, like a, like a Oompa Loompa or something. Yes, to tie it all back to reverse engineering porn, uh, we got the yes. number one number one authority uh, in, in reverse engineering, Mr. Sumdak himself. Uh, I, I think this is, I wrote down that this is really smart, believable. Uh, it's a great little plot. Like, yeah, the, the, obviously Megatron has had a problem cracking a code of this Autobot exclusive technology. Yeah, let's bring in the guy that made his whole career on it. Yeah. Um, a, a weird point of order thing I, I want to discuss here because I, I know earlier in the episode we spent a disproportionate amount of time discussing the amount of time that has passed since the conclusion of Megatron rising part two at the beginning of the elite guard. And I thought we had it pretty well nailed down. I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure right now because look at the, the state of disrepair of the Decepticons Blitzwing, I, uh, Lugnut's arm, uh, keeps falling off, but when last we saw Megatron with Isaac Sumdak as his captive, he was looking like the the end of the uh, it's over prime one shall stand one shall fall fight with Optimus. Like he was he was pretty beat up, like cracked yeah. armor. Well, uh, and again we discussed it at the time that it was you know kind of like more that visual cue to Transformers the movie, but like here though totally fine. Yeah. Well, and also Isaac Sumdeck was also, you know, a cradling, cradled, blubbering mess in his hand. Uh, wasn't really, you know, up to preparing or reverse engineering space bridges. But I think, I think a little bit what we're seeing here is sort of like uh, to throw it back to Last Jedi again. Mm. <clears throat> that's sort of not exactly in tandem, right? Like Ray, Ray finds Luke Skywalker, but it's not the exact time uh, that like you know, Finn's waking up on the spaceship across the galaxy. I think we're seeing that here too. I think we're seeing a little bit like of a time slip of, of answer the question where the Decepticons were, but they're out of sync with what's happening with the Autobots a little bit. Maybe that's, maybe that's me sort of reverse engineering the situation, but that's what happens in that movie. Yeah. No wonder I don't like it. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's a real Dunkirk situation, you know, like um, uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk follows like three different, events happening in time but they're but they're out of phase and they're there and there's like chirons to tell you where it's like you know one day before one week before one hour before you know that that oh, type sure. of thing so so it's like the groundwork is laid so when you when you check in with them and you see them i mean the payoff is that you know the 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 storylines do kind of converge but like you kind of know that up front right or it's another Last Jedi situation where <clears throat> Ryan Johnson just didn't like where the scar was placed on Kylo Ren. They didn't like the idea of dinged up uh, Megatron being seen first. So now they've made him look nice. It's one of those two. But both, both mm -hmm. things at The Last Jedi, right? Yes. Uh, but I, 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 do, I do like this, this exchange between uh, Isaac Sumdak and Megatron because he's like, he's like, hey man, you're- You cannot trick me into helping you this time, Megatron. 
the Autobots will come for me. I am wise to the game. But then Megatron drops this bit of knowledge on here. And, and it's, uh, I mean, it kind of cuts to the bone and it cuts to, you know, we, we, we spent so much time talking about the timing of things, but in either reality, nobody is looking for Isaac Sumdak. You know, nobody seems to be concerned other than his daughter, not, not the Autobots, not the police, you know, not, not anybody. Nobody seems to be interested in uh, finding this guy and Megatron cuts right to the bone. And he's like, hey man, why do you think that is? Could it have something to do with the fact that you resurrected their worst enemy? Yeah. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. So I, I like, again, I, I really enjoy this version of Megatron because like he's, he's a, um, he's a planner, he's a schemer, but he's a sassy boy when he wants to, like he, yeah. he's, he, he's, he's got, um, a cutting wit when he wants to. Again, that theater kid analogy is really sticking here. <laughs> I, I wish there's a version of this now where it's like he leaned into it a little more where he'd be like, oh, don't you wonder why nobody's looking for you? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I wonder why. Could it be that you resurrected their biggest villain ever? Right. You know, head around enemy. backwards. He's, he's been yeah. uh, head workshopping this character for a while. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> No, that's oh great. My yeah, gosh. but it is it is a really cool. It is kind of a chilling moment because he he's basically saying like, yeah, your your only usefulness to anyone is to me, and yeah. the only way you're good to me alive is if you're working on the space bridge. It's a great threat. It's a great motivational threat. And um, I was gonna say something else, but it's a. Uh, it's gone now. Um, so I think back at this point we guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we go back to the ship. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and my first note at the the top of this new page is Hear this. why don't they believe Optimus? Why don't they believe him? Exclamation point question mark. Sure. Well, I mean, again, other than being a disgraced soldier that is telling an absolute load of malarkey as far as they're concerned, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I guess it is kind of hard to believe, and and there's no proof, right? There's no visceral or visual proof to to what happened. I was gonna note that when we cut back, this is where uh, they're rocking out to the Soundwave song, apparently. I'll give you points for creativity on your bogus story, Optimus, but where's your proof? Did you catch that? It's like it's his little, uh, you know, sound wave trill was is going off uh, in the. No, I missed that. I don't think they're actually listening to it as much as they're using it as like part of the score. But it was just kind of weird, weird to me that it was dropped in there. Yeah, that's that's interesting because like, yo, generally uh, huge uh, peek behind the curtain behind the scenes. I don't generally watch it with uh, watch the episodes with the, the volume turned up a lot like in fact i i watched uh uh this episode on the uh, roku channel specifically so i could get uh the subtitles on it because you can't you don't have captioning on on tubi yeah um uh, but anyway so like sometimes I, I i generally watch these late at night so sometimes like um and sometimes not in headphones sometimes with so sometimes little musical cues uh elude me sometimes and right. uh, well and last time we heard it it was like a plot point right it was fans mm -hmm. listening to it inside of bumblebee uh, yeah 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 it's just part of the score that's right. wild it is wild 
I, I yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to try to keep track of that a little better because it, it makes me wonder if that is some kind of a uh, secret foreshadowing type of thing. Cause like, you know, or like it's one of those things when Soundwave eventually returns, maybe there there is like something that was there the whole time. It's like, oh yeah, th- this was always happening, you know, in, in the background and actually uh built to something. Right. So Sentinel is still grilling the crew here. He's he's getting digs on Optimus every chance he gets. Some real good ones too. Sick uh, burns. My yes. God. God. I mean, Optimus himself is a fire truck, and he's going to have to take himself to the burn ward for like these sick <laughs> yeah. burns that that can't uh, put that fire I, out. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you could save others from being burned, but you couldn't save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is actually a great face-off, um, and and it's also kind of tragic a little bit because just as we're seeing Optimus slip into this role of capable leader, um, someone that's deserved of his crew's respect, his past coming back to haunt him. His literal superiors are dropping in to tell him he's a failure. It's sad. It, it's sad. We finally got Optimus where we wanted him to be, where we expected him to be, and and he's just shut down instantly. It's brutal. Yeah, and and I I think it's at this point where you you really kind of get from a sense that Jazz is kind of like the the true neutral here. Like, you know, it's like, you know, things things come to blows and it's always Jazz that's kind of like, you know, put him putting himself in the middle, but like it almost like comes to blows where it's like uh oh no, I I'm, I'm mixing that up with uh with Bulkhead. Because like Bulkhead is is telling Optimus, he's like, dude, stand up for yourself. And he's like, yeah. eh. Optimus is like, nah, 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 it's not worth it. He's like, um, I, I forget what it was that that sets Bulkhead off, but he uh or maybe that's maybe that's all later, because I don't see it in this part of my notes, but uh but anyway, yeah, there, there's like this this would-be brawl where it's like, you know, everybody's holding Bulkhead back, everybody's holding sen- Sentinel oh, back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird to kind of uh, <clears throat> it is weird to kind of see this um, sort of exchange, and and it's really weird to see how Sentinel has become the voice in Ultra Magnus's ear. And again, if you think of it in the context of that, should be Optimus making you know whispering yeah. uh, in the ear of the general here. Uh, it, it, you can kind of see where Sentinel gets to this point of like, yeah, organics are bad. Optimus is full of shit. Uh, we don't need to be doing this. Actually, kind of makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it really does. And the the extra perspective on that also is that in my version, our characterization of Ultra Magnus is that he's so disinterested, he's more than happy to let Sentinel take this off his hands. You know, it's like I you oh, know, I yeah. gotta deal I gotta deal with like Cybertronian councils on urgent matters and all this other stuff. I'm assuming there's always urgent matters going on that he has other thing more important things to do at all times. And he's just like, you know, it, it really is kind of like a Emperor Vader thing where yeah. it's just like, you know, I will I will send my apprentice Darth Maul. He will find your lost ship. You know, that that kind of yeah. thing where it's like, I mean, Palpatine was a master delegator. And I, and I wonder if Ultra Magnus is just doing good management here. You know, it's just like, ah, I just got to delegate that. Um, right. Well, maybe they took his uh, most famous line from the 86 movie and made it his whole thing, right? The, <laughs> I can't deal with this right now. They're like, this is his thing. You just can't deal with any of it. Too busy. 
So that that's that's going to be his like one minute manager book, like yeah. like little hundred page uh, <laughs> handbook that they hand out to all uh, middle managers, and it's just I can't deal with this right now. You know how to win at management, and it's yeah. just <laughs> Magnus standing there with a with a hammer. And the last chapter in the book is like you can deal with this now. You can like, deal <laughs> with this. <laughs> uh, uh, but but this is a uh, this is around the time that they that they scan earth modes and, yes. and that, that's the other thing too so it's like so sentinel's like oh as you know i scan some typical earth vehicles sir so we won't attract attention to ourselves good work sentinel prime like that whole and it's interesting because like when we talk about transformers and it, it seems like your alt mode is something that that that's very personal to you. Like, you know, see any of our discussions about Transformers Earthspark, where there's like a several episode arc about like what your alt mode means for you and and the angst and consideration that goes with choosing one and you know, do you choose the right one? Um, so it's interesting to come off from something like that. Like, you know, like like some of the angst that uh, Jawbreaker uh, went through to this where Sentinel's just like, yeah, you know, I, I, I scanned some stuff, whatever, let's go. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting <laughs> to see that that dichotomy there. But I do love this scene where where uh, Magnus is like, oh, hey, terrific. Thanks, Sentinel. And then they change into their alt modes. And, it, and it's a really cool transformation sequence. But like. These vehicles yeah. that they have, like, like I oh, can't subtle even, stuff, subtle stuff. <laughs> to, to the point where, like, Bumblebee even calls it out. It's like yeah. it's like real subtle, buddy. Uh, oh yeah, no one's gonna notice that. Uh, Ultra Magnus becomes the this large troop transport carrier thing, yeah. which. Let me run this by you. Uh, you know, we we had talked about. Uh, you had talked about uh, Dark of the Moon. This kind of, ironically enough, evokes Sentinel Prime for me. Like it has yeah. kind of like that 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 kind of like rectangular, uh, uh, slanted nose type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It it looks like the the Sentinel Prime fire truck from from Dark of the Moon, uh, just in terms of like the shape of the vehicle, which is fascinating to consider when you have actual Sentinel Prime there also, right, right. who just turns into a goddamn monster truck with a snowplow on it. It's like, what is this? Yeah, this is, oh, this is, but that's classic Sentinel, right? Like, like what else Absolutely. could he be? Just something flashy and big and out of place in the city uh, with and, a big ass plow on the front. Um, but obnoxious. I, what I found interesting was that, uh, you know, I always just, when I originally saw this, I always just thought Ultra Magnus's vehicle was just cool. I mean, I really liked it. I love the design of it. I love the look of it. I just thought cool sort of space vehicle or like, or, or slight that, that sort of near distant future cartoon version of a SWAT vehicle. Um, but it actually is based off of a real vehicle called an HEMTT, heavy expanded mobile tactical truck. Um, this is from TF Wiki, but I googled okay. it. And yeah, it tracks it. It does look like that. Uh, so accurate. <laughs> maybe maybe not needed in a city at this exact moment, um, but it, it is a cool real vehicle. That's awesome. I, I it, it's interesting in latter day Transformers, and it's, and it's hard to say modern Transformers because this was 15 years ago, but. Um, you know, Transformers was initially, you know, based on like 
you know, diaclone and microchange and all that stuff where it was like real stuff with like, you know, when you get into like masterpiece figures, you run into like licensing problems and things like that to where now like modern interpretations of G1 characters, they try to reinterpret the vehicle modes so they're not specifically that car. Like, you know, Hound is a Jeep, but not like a capital J Jeep. You know, yeah. uh, Jazz is a sports car, but not specifically a Porsche. You know, that that kind of thing. And um, so it, it's it's fascinating to me to see that, you know, they're, they're really going for like a, a real actual vehicle, especially in a continuity that takes place in a, in a uh, farther flung future. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Sentinel and uh, Ultra Magnus leave and th this guy, I mean, it's what I, I, ha I have several instances of my notes uh, w with regarding Sentinel Prime. I'm like, why does Michael Andrews like this guy? Because like he is <laughs> the worst. He is the worst. Uh, which but is he's probably so why cool looking. <laughs> <laughs> so in his, in his uh, uh, monster truck snowplow mode, yeah. he's he's running into cars. Like not, not, <laughs> I mean, like he's not even, there's a difference between like avoiding them. He's not even avoiding, he's actively seeking them out. It seems to me like, yeah. like, you know, being a, a monster truck. I, well, I guess that's what monster trucks do, I guess. But, uh, yeah. I just now piece that together. I didn't, I didn't necessarily, uh, clue that in at first, you know, that, that car crushing is a, is kind of, uh, kind of pri uh, part and parcel for, uh, for being a uh, monster truck, but these guys are jerks. <laughs> these yeah, guys it, are jerks. It really, there is sort of like uh, a stereotype of like, uh, you know, the, the certain type of person that gets into, you know, joins the National Guard or joins the police force because, you know, they want to abuse their power a little bit. They want to mm. you know, pick some shit around. And that's definitely Sentinel, right? Uh, you, you know, when they come to this planet, their first assumption oh, should be that these cars are like sentient life forms, right? And, but he doesn't give a shit. He's just plowing through them. Yeah. It's like those, and, those, those could be people. <laughs> yeah. And well, there's a couple of hilarious moments here when they're driving. I mean, A, uh, the one where he just so brashly drives off the unfinished bridge. <laughs> I, I love that scene. And it, it was really great too, digging into it a little bit because it could have so easily have been. Uh, a battle damaged bridge, but instead they made a point to be like, it's an unfinished bridge with, yep. uh, you know, signs the, in the barriers to stop you. He blew through all of those and just yeah. right over the edge. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to be Sentinel's character where it's like full speed or nothing. And it's like, you know, I, I don't have time to give consideration to anything. Yeah. Um, which it, it's kind of interesting because now I want to go back and rewatch um, Along Came a Spider again because to me, th this extra aggressive uh, version of him kind of feels like a result of that. Like, you know, he was brash and impulsive, but like here, it's 
it's turned all the way up to where it's like, I won't even listen to reason or caution or nothing. I'm just going to drive through these signs like they're nothing. Um, that bit later where he gets like a, a stop sign uh, stuck in <laughs> yeah. his shoulder and he's like, why do they keep putting these up on the corners? They should yeah. stop doing yeah, that on every corner. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, and just the refusal to see the pattern. And I don't think it's because he's a dummy. Sentinel isn't a dummy, but he is so uh, brash and arrogant and so self-assured um, that like, I, I mean, it's interesting to kind of like pick at the psychology of these characters, but I wonder if that's the guy that came back from the spider planet where it's just like, you know, I need to be this guy now where it's like, I'm, I'm going to push through this trauma through macho bullshit, through through uh, uh, toxic masculinity, if you will, like like this this guy's like a he's an unchecked dude bro, you know, big big small dick energy, big dude bro energy, to where it's like yeah. I feel like, but I also feel like though there's a version of this where this is a a defense a, a defense mechanism for uh, to deal with the trauma he endured. I don't know. Oh yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. So, moving right along, we we move back to the Decepticons makeshift layer where we see Turncoat Sumdeck is having trouble cracking the space space bridge technology. Actually, uh, let me let me do another take on that. I wrote down uh, I wanted to do one in my Trumpiest tweet voice. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> pathetic loser Sumdeck, traitor to his country and a terrible father, by the way, can't even figure out the space bridge. I read an article about him once. Couldn't even explain where the technology came from. Sad. <laughs> I I was I, I I was like, if you don't punctuate that with a sad, then yeah, what are we even doing? Oh my gosh! Well no, done. I don't know my what friend. about that scene evoked it, but I was just like, oh, this deserves this deserves a Trump tweet. This guy. Oh, that's oh, that's so Failing good. Here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. the, uh, the the well, we have to call it the the failing Sumdac systems now. Anytime we uh we talk about yes. the uh, yes. the company now, that's <laughs> like. But but I, I I do like this though. It's like there there is a misunderstanding of Isaac Sumdak's skill set on the Decepticons' parts because like you know he's even Isaac is even lamenting. He's like he's like dude, I I work in servo mechanics. I don't know anything about teleportation or space bridge technology. What the hell is this stuff? Yeah yeah. Well, it's it's you know it's a plot stumbling point. Um, or, you know, a moment that kind of like slows down the progression of things uh, purposefully. But it also is very smart because it uh, forces Sumdak to look at, you know, his own his own failings. I guess this is where it all coming from is that, you know, now he's kind of really seeing like, oh, I'm not the great inventor. I've been boasting I am. I actually now that I'm presented with a real actual, uh, you know, te technological feat. Oops, I can't really help you here. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, I, I think it would be fair to say that he is still a gifted genius. Like, you know, yeah. it's like I, I think he still had an aptitude for robotics, but it's so it it's not finding reverse finding Megatron's head in reverse engineering Cybertronian tech 
that made him a a genius in robotics. I think he was already that, but it's it's what allowed him to go to the next level. Like he probably would have spent his entire career making like you know lame robots or something like that. But then then it becomes Sumdac Systems with the you know extra knowledge from from uh, uh, the space technology. But like again, it's like I don't I don't think that you know he's as much a fraud as maybe he's uh, occasionally presented to be because you you still have to have some kind of uh, technological know-how like you know if uh, uh, Ben Affleck and and Paycheck like if he's if he's trying to reverse engineer a a portable computer uh with with like an AI assistant you know he could take all the screws out of it and look at it but if he doesn't have any fundamental understanding of how those systems even operate, then then that's just a uh, that that's just meathead Goodwill hunting Ben Affleck taking <laughs> apart a laptop. You know, it's yeah. like, hey, what do I do with this? Applesauce. <laughs> you know, now you like them apples. You know that 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 kind of thing. So, applesauce, bitch. Um. So I mean, you know, Isaac Sumdak is is intelligent. But when faced with literal space tech, you know, like literally out of this world technology, yeah, he, he, is, uh, he is kind of out of his depth. But then you have this thing with this, this robot revolutionary here where it's like, I call him the fuck no robot, where it's just like, uh, what's in this box? Why is this robot carrying it? But it's just like, <laughs> I've had it up to here with the likes of you people. And, and, it seems like it's a response to him complaining, but uh, but Megatron yeah. knows better. Fusion cannons this dude right to death. Right, and um, I I, lo- I love this because uh, it, it plays two ways, right? Like you can also see the version of Megatron that is just randomly b- blasting a bot apart that pisses him off, uh, but then we find out it's actually for a smart reason because within the fragments of this bot is mm-hmm. an AllSpark fragment. Uh, a little, a little hints that that maybe that that thing wasn't completely obliterated when it was destroyed. The the prize at the bottom of the cereal box. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so now we know that it's it's still around in some a fleck of stardust, basically. Absolutely, and and it speaks to Megatron's kinship with the Allspark. Like he he senses it. He knows. Yeah. Like like it would be just as easy for him to just smoke this robot. But like you said, it's, it's with purpose. It's not just, you know, we're far away from G1 Megatron, just blasting his own troops, just cause, yeah. you know, th- th- throwing a, throwing a box at Starscream's head because, uh, because it's 1201 <laughs> AM or something yeah. like that. It's not, it's not, it's not that we're, we're, we're a bit away from that. So it's interesting to see that that's still kind of like cold, uh, methodical purpose. and he rationalizes that if there's this fragment of the AllSpark remaining, well, it stands to reason that there may still be pockets of its energy scattered all over this city, all over this planet. To which we see then this um, manufacturing plant, this assembly line, to where they're still making goddamn ED-209s. We're still <laughs> yeah. making those uh, those police drones it's, haven't we had enough of this? I mean, how many more incidents are we going to have? 
And I didn't catch this until my second viewing last night, but like the, uh, because it's like you see the microchips being inserted into each drone and it's like the third one that kind of glows with the, uh, uh, with, with the, the blue of the AllSpark. But I didn't realize, cause that's where I thought the fragment was at first. I didn't realize that it's actually the mechanical arm of the picker of the microchip inserter thing that has like a whole chunk of the fragment like stuck in the side um Uh. and that and that's how all of these drones together get uh get infused with uh uh with uh with the power of the with the allspark they're just getting a little sprinkle each one just a little sprinkle of stardust for each one a little fairy dust uh yeah so it's it's uh interesting that 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 means like there's a lot to go around right if one little fragment can do that uh yeah we're in trouble i wonder if this is what they mean by defund the police there's just too many uh, police spots being (laughs) made off the assembly line but yeah so this is this is uh you know this has some big connotations for it that you know we could be seeing a lot more problematic devices moving forward and uh, relishing in this is Porter C. Powell, who calls sorry to complain about the problem on the assembly line. And I love this scene because it is played so well by Porter C. Powell, uh, a guy who is actually thrilled. This is happening. This is playing right into his plan that will come up at the end of the episode. Um, but it is uh, it's Christmas for him, but it's a nightmare for everybody else. Like, the last dregs of your of your dad's uh, failing some deck industries is about to uh, take a hit here. You, <laughs> you know, not that? for nothing to to interrupt you. Just a quick sec yeah. to in, interject this joke here. Uh, Porter C. Powell, very Trump esque. Oh, just very much. Not so. for yeah. nothing. Look at that dude. I mean, like between yeah. like 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 the hair and his affectation, and and I didn't realize because like I. Anytime we had seen Porter C. Powell in in season one episodes, it didn't really leave much of an impression on me. So it's like when you would talk about him, like I, I guess you know that kind of thing. So it never really uh, um, uh, stuck with me um, until now. And now I understand a little more about you know how uh, how how the this character makes much more of an impact. But it's like. What is this voice? Like, do, does he, is there, is there kind of like a, a weird bullshit Southern twang to it? It's, it's, it's very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it is funny you mentioned that though. Cause uh, I guess I never, when I was picturing his importance to the, to the overall story of transformers, everything I was thinking about was actually in uh, season two season. Yeah. His, just from from your fresh eyes on it, yeah, he's a very minor role in season one. But now we're going to see him, uh, the machinations of Porter C. Powell. That's what I'm looking forward to. But yeah, so like like you had like you had mentioned earlier, the 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 scene kind of rules because like through my lens, it's like you know th- this this is more Cartoon Network Disney Channel bullshit where it's just like oh yeah, so we're we're going to ask. Uh, child CEO, uh, eight-year-old sorry Sumdak to handle these problems. And she's just like, fine, I'll do it myself. It's just like, wait, what? <laughs> I think the Disney Channel version of that is cutting to her in like like a pantsuit. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and really being the leader. But she's just like, okay, why are you asking me? Like, I get it, but uh, I'm eight, just for the record. Right, yeah, I, I, I guess that's what I needed. Somewhere, some how for any of these characters to be like, I'm eight years old. 
let's not forget. And it feel it felt to me in my early going that like the writers forgot about that and the characters forgot about that. But um, but I'm coming around to your viewpoint in that like yeah, again, Porter C. Powell is moving chess pieces. Like, you know, he he's yeah. well, and he, ironically enough, he has nothing to do with this. Like, you know, it really is like, you know, all spark uh gone amuck type of thing. But yeah, it's it's still um uh to his advantage and um to his benefit. Yeah. Yeah, and I can prove that by every time we see him on a call, it's his lines are delivered with this smarmy sort of smug, you know, uh, guess what's happening? Sorry. He knows exactly where this is headed. Yeah. Uh and it does pay off. Absolutely. Um, so we get our first real key use in that, like, you know, she uh I guess, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean she she as a blunt object a little bit, but yeah. She cuts a hole in the in the force shield, which is right. right so right. which I don't know. I I I thought that was kind of clever. She's just like snicked. Like I I like I don't oh, yeah. know if I've seen a force field be cut through like a knife before. I thought I thought that was actually a, a kind of cool visual bit. And it's fascinating that you know because it's Cybertronian tech that either the the shield is in tuned or the key is in something to where like it it actually works. And she just uh, walks uh, walks through it like a um, like a curtain, but then yeah. um, well, actually, if I can jump in too, it reminded me of um, uh, if you're if you're a His Dark Materials fan, it's it's basically the subtle knife mm. uh, from that book series, which can sort of like cut, but it's such a sharp blade that it cuts between worlds, and that's exactly what it does in that. It sort of rips through this this fabric that no one else can see or get through or anything. But I guess I, I thought it was cool. I think it's a cool scene. I don't, I don't get me wrong here. I was just kind of like, kind of like you were positing. Is it, is it actually sort of an interaction from the key? Is it actually an all spark interaction with the shield or is it just, Hey, I've got some Cybertronian junk. So let's see if I can shove it through this, yeah. through this uh, laser beam. Because I didn't see anything visually from the key, like coming to life or glowing or, you know, mm -hmm. doing anything. It just sort of snicked right through. There. Yeah. In fact, she letter opener. Yeah. And she kind of like, even like looks at the, she's like, I wonder if this will work. You know, maybe my key will work. Oh yeah. Sure enough. I mean, like yeah. she, she's as surprised as anybody else. Yeah. And she's in, yeah. uh, she goes back to her, what Sari's best at, which is slinking through hallways of Autobot ships. <laughs> and, I, you know, kudos to the, uh, uh, the art direction and the, you know, ju just the way this plays out because like she is so cartoonishly small and these hallways are so cartoonishly large, almost like it's a cartoon, but no, I mean, it's like, even like these hallways would be large for like large Autobots. Like I would imagine that like Ultra Magnus would walk through here and still have plenty of room, <laughs> you know, no, no yeah. shortage of space. They're very uh, vast. These, uh, <laughs> these hallways. Yeah. Are. yeah, absolutely. I thought this was a great bit too, because it's sort of like, it's sort of like her embarking on what you think is going to be like this long mission. Uh, I can almost hear like the arrested development narrator being like, sorry, had some investigation of her own, but then she's instantly trips the yes. sensor. Like it's not, there's no quest here. She just trips the sensor and jazz shows up uh, and, and, and then everything unfolds. But I thought that was a great setup. Cause we're like, Oh, we're going to get a little side quest with sorry. Nope. 
<laughs> She's caught instantly. Yeah, instantly. And I love this interaction between her and Jazz because it's like, you know, contamination alarms are going off and it's and and Jazz is like cautious. He's like, Ew, you, you stay, you stay the fuck right there. Just you stay <laughs> right the fuck over there. You <laughs> stay stay yeah. the hell away from me, goddamn space germ. <laughs> and yeah. Well, he well, he's been the, you know, uh the only one he he's been had Ultra Magnus and Sentinel in his ear now. Like they're bad. They're terrible. Yeah. They explode. They they shoot goo everywhere. You don't want to be around these. And now, I mean, as much as he's curious about humans and organics, he's also like, ah, you know, there it is. There's one. Stay cool and roll back off the ship nice and easy, like. And don't even think of spewing any of your slime at me. I uh I I laughed disproportionately hard at the booga booga booga. <laughs> she goes like, I mean, again, like, you know, sorry has proven to be capable in her own right. You know, she, she's outmaneuvered Colossus roads, you know, and she's had, you know, any, any number of interactions, like getting out of situations like this. I, I mean, criminy, she, she outfoxed black arachnia. So it's like, you know, right. so she, she's, she's capable and she's smart and has a quick wit and she figures out immediately she's like wait a sec oh you're afraid of me aren't you booga, booga, booga. <gasps> and and yeah. and uses that to her uh, ultimate benefit right away but um great scene yeah it's it's gold yeah uh so the autobots show up um and and there's this interaction here a little a little bit of tension back and forth but ultimately jazz seems open to the idea that Organics are cool. Maybe they're not so bad. Maybe humans are cool. And Jazz seems to be having like a, like a prowl moment. Yeah. Like, uh, he, he, he's sort of like, I'd, I'd like, I guess I, I wrote down that I'd like to think that prowl is just out of frame, uh, rolling his eyes at the new guy, right? Like this is, this is sort of a vision of prowl X amount of months ago. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and, and you're so right. And, the, and that, and that's going to come into play, um, a little bit later i was gonna say another great thing about this scene uh, another another alt mode oh my god another uh transformation in jazz's sports car that car mode rules and like yeah. and like you said it, it um it one it's it's great vintage jazz you know it's like i mean it, it characterization it gives you everything you want and he's like yeah man any species that could come up with a sweet ride like this can't be all bad you know, it's like, you know, he's yeah. he is impressed with his alt mode. He uh, he really likes it. Well, and we've talked about this sort of this sort of Transformer character. And, and what I like about uh, some of the Michael Bay movies and the live action is that uh, I like this idea of a Transformer that's uh, interested in Earth's culture and, and tweaking their mode. And like right away, we see him like, you know, a sweet jacket. I want one, you know, yep. <laughs> and like puts on something cool. Like I, I love that version of characters like mm -hmm. this. And and Jazz is the character you can do that with because he he's just if you describe Jazz in one word, it's cool, always cool. Yeah, you know. So it and it also plays into. I think it's also because because we know this show's tailing or you know on the coattails of the first live action movie. This is also sort of a version of that Jazz too, where that Jazz had sort of sampled, uh, you know, Earth culture and tones. And this is a cool place to kick it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, it, 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 it's a little bit of that jazz too. Huh. I'll allow it. Yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right. I like that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so I, I, I write down 
in all caps. Meanwhile, on Dinobot Island, exclamation point, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're really uh, trekking some, uh, you know, locales in this episode. I, pa- I paused place. it to see if, like, I had stumbled across, like, an hour-long episode. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm halfway through a 23-minute episode. Okay, very good. <laughs> because it's just like, what is happening? There's, like, this whole dialogue between, like, you know, Optimus and Sentinel and Ultra Magnus. And it's just like... Yeah, well, let, let's see if we could go see this, this, this so-called battle. And it's like, you know, oh, man, we got to be real cautious through here. And Sentinel's all bravado. He's like, I don't care about fucking Decepticons. And Optimus is like, dude. Not Decepticons. Dinobots. And Sentinel again, just he's like, what the fuck is that? I, I, don't, I don't fucking care. <laughs> Whatever. Just... Just, just dick swinging. Just like I, I don't fucking yeah. care. Ah, you know, it's like he's like, um, he's like at a like a a, a drunk frat guy who's already like pull, pulled his polo shirt open. He's just running around, just yeah. like chest exam. He's like, I don't fucking care. I take you all on. Oh man, I mean, yeah, even his shields are like the pop collar. Oh my right? god, like, you're this right. Is, this very fits <laughs> this this design choice. <laughs> Oh man! Oh man. yeah! Wouldn't that be funny if, like, uh, in his in his bot mode, the shield is supposed to be one solid piece, but he like has split it into two, sort of uh, popping a couple buttons yeah. open, uh, transformer style. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That's perfect. So good. So yeah. So so they run into the Dinobots for like no reason. Uh, for oh, because capitalism. We got got to sell some toys. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I wrote down in my notes, um, and again, this is kind of where I, I honed in on some of my characterization of Ultra Magnus that I talked about earlier. I wrote in my notes, it's hammer time because, like, he hell yeah, he does this, this, uh, you know, it's a, a subtle version of the lightning attack that we'll see later, but still, it's like there, there's, I'm like, this dude just like storm from the X-Men that that kind of thing cuz like you see like the clouds roll in and um yeah very interesting it's like what what i think it's just so cool i called it the fucking amazing electroshocker hammer of thor where it's just like oh like this light comes out of it and the the dinobots bow down to uh-huh. it i was like this is the this is the ultra magnus i want to see absolutely it's 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 pretty cool yeah, don't get don't get me wrong. It's like. it's pretty cool. But yeah, it was a very like production value. It was quite quite the drawn scene for just a little uh, glimpse of what his hammer can do. I would I imagine we're going to see versions of that sequence many more times throughout the season. It's like the, yes, you know, much uh, much like transformation sequences. It's like nope, they they spent the money on this one. Knowing that they're going to use it a bunch. <laughs> this is this is the fireworks at the end of the festival. They went all in. On, on yes, this. yes, exactly. Uh, but but it's fun. It, it's interesting because like I I'm a little confused about the passage of time here because their their whole thing is Optimus is going to take them to the Ark. And, you know, because like that's pretty definitive proof of this Decepticon battle, which is the whole point of this. It's like, let me take you to Dinobot Island and and I'll give you the proof you need. They don't actually do it. 
you know, after they scare off the Dinobots, they're they're like, oh no, there's there's a problem at the at the uh, A cab robot cop uh, factory. Um, so we need <laughs> to go. So they just leave. Right. Well, and I I wonder too if something was cut or if there's some uh, subtext here mm. for. For the Dinobots are proof enough. This this is proof that of the AllSpark fragments or that the AllSpark did its thing, you know, that there's something going on here. These new life forms are are some sort of proof. Sentinel remains unconvinced, I think. Because he's just like, ah, these fucking fucking dinosaur robots, yeah. whatever. Whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean everything. To to be fair, this is the first thing that Optimus said was going to happen happened. Ah, that's right. True. Like this is the first like any sort of proof that Optimus has been able to uh show. Yeah. But, but yes, I don't think Sentinel will ever be convinced no. uh, of anything Optimus says from here on out. I, I I guess I would have liked to have seen maybe like a cocked eyebrow from Ultra Magnus or something. It's like, what are these? You know, because like right. like neither of them seems because I'm mean, like these these are new Cybertronian life forms. It's like you you would right. think that that would give you pause a little bit, and it kind of doesn't. I, again, I find myself disappointed by these these two characters throughout this entire episode. Sure, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so back at some decks facility, yeah, lights and uh, sirens, lights and sirens. Yeah, woo. <laughs> uh, our heroes, uh, plus Jazz, I guess he's kind of our hero now. Uh -huh. uh, they get attacked by Sumdax, Haywire Robots. Um, some, sorry, he's lamenting uh, taking over CEO. Uh, unbelievable, or very believable. Yeah. Um, so then this like kind of kick-ass little battle ensues. Um, and then Prowl finally gets a line in this episode, which is nice. Yeah, uh, one, one. <laughs> yeah, right, real brief one. But then he gets into some ninja hijinks, oh. so it's okay that he doesn't have any uh, lines because... Yeah, you know what we like. Yeah. Um, so that's it's a badass scene, and we just think we're getting a little prowl action, but actually, it shows a little bit more about Jazz's character. Yes, because he immediately identifies uh, the move as the Metallicado Five Servos of Doom maneuver, um, which is great because a I like long-winded uh, action yep. names. Yep. B it's a nod to Five Fingers of Death. Uh -huh. uh, the famous martial arts movie yep. and uh, G1 bludgeons practice of Metallicato. Yeah. I, I so lost it. I, I paused it and I lost it. I'm like, what, what did he say? It's, <laughs> it's like in uh, the uh, uh, solo movie when Amelia Clark's character, uh, Kira says like, Oh yeah, I did some like Terracassi on them. I'm like the PlayStation one yeah. video game. What? What? Yes, it's exactly <laughs> like that. That's a great reference. Uh, I'd, I'd also like to think it's a reference to Kill Bill. I can't remember the the move from the finisher of Kill Bill, yeah. but I like that. It's uh, it, yeah, it's it's a, it's a very similar like uh, five flavor fruit punch type of thing. It's like like the five points of something. It's always in denominations of five. It would seem. Yeah. Well, and so I guess along with this, I want to interject. I've never really looked up Metallicado and its origins. For me, it was just always been a little like Easter egg throughout Transformers lore, but I never really like looked it up. And so I did look it up on TF Wiki. Um, and the thing that I really liked about it was that it's from, uh, apparently it's like a form of a Finnish word, which means loss of metal, oh. uh, M-E-T-A-L. And I think that's so cool because I like it as... 
you know, like knock your paint off metaphor, like loss of metal, like maybe they're fighting so hard the actual metals like flaking off them. But I also like it as a play on the word metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I think that's really cool. And then, and then I was, you know, my writer metaphor brain just keeps going with it. I also like it. Uh, it's sort of like a way of saying they're, tra- they're, they're transcending their metal bodies. Sure. Right. The loss of metal, they're becoming more than metal. Uh, they're, they're, they're shedding that um, physical state. I, maybe I'm reading too far into it, but I was just like, oh, that's such a cool way to think about I, it. I love all that because the, there is a fluidity and, and, speed and technique to you know characters like bludgeon and prowl and and certainly like like jazz what we see here um quick uh quick point of order thing uh from kill bill it's the five point palm exploding heart technique that 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 will kill opponents after they have taken five steps as as seen at (laughs) at the climax of uh kill bill volume two but yeah this like i i was very excited by like this entire sequence because like you know you think you're just going to get some you know uh uh ninja nerd blows where you know uh uh, Prowl goes uh, Tasmanian Devil for a few, get some get some shurikens for for my dude Michael Andrews, but then yeah. but then like yeah, Jazz is like I like the cut of your jib, but he's like watch this, and I remember you had said something like a year ago about like Jazz and his nunchucks, and I'm just like I didn't I didn't really think anything of it because again I'm trying to kind of like you know experience things as um as sure. as they come to me, but like. You know, the whole thing about how, like, they launch from his arm gauntlets and that whole sequence of just, like, you know, how he uh, can take care of these opponents with uh, uh, with the quickness. And he says something over his shoulder. He's like, yeah, you know, your, 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 your stuff is good, but, you know, and proceeds to mow through the drones. And he says, like, well, you know. I guess you never got that far in your cyber ninja training. Yeah. And that says, that little bit of lore says so much. Because so far, we've seen Prowl be the master. You know, stillness then strike. You know, it's like so arrogant in his skills that he's gotten himself into trouble. And, you know, and, and always the, the competent fighter and to now learn that Prowl at the height of his powers, which we've seen so many times now, he didn't finish his training. How badass is jazz having be like the, the master of Metallicato. That's, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, I I agree, and I also think it it's cool to kind of see like now we're seeing why uh, Prowl is is on the space bridge crew, like he's just as displaced as the rest of them, uh, disgraced, yeah, uh, if you will, yeah. You know that now we're getting a little bit backstory about like oh something happened he you know that wasn't an accident that this ninja is on this construction crew. I had speculated earlier in the show. Uh, that perhaps he was there for muscle, you know, meaning it's like, you know, you have like the one competent guy to, you know, keep an eye on the, on these knuckleheads. But, oh, but yeah. as it turns out, like you said, yeah, maybe he himself is, is a, is a bit of a knucklehead, but when, when you flash back to prowl, he mouth agape and like his, uh, his, vi- <laughs> his, his visor flashes, he's in love with jazz, right? <laughs> I mean, like, ab- yeah, absolutely, yeah, like, absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I don't, um, 
I I I don't want to sound uh, uh, tacky or something like that, but like you know, in other spots we've kind of talked about like how uh, the the dynamic between Prowl and Bumblebee, and the dynamic uh, between Prowl and Bulkhead, and so you know, I don't I don't want to necessarily uh, uh, stick my neck out too far and speculate on Prowl's sexuality, but. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I'm I'm kind of surprised that um a lot of our friends in the fandom haven't claimed Prowl as a uh, a queer icon. Um because that, mm. because like I mean Prowl is an awesome character and you know I said, you know, very early on why is Prowl a dick and you told me you know, so he could be not a dick later. And we're already kind of there to where it's like, I, I get it. I like him. But but there are like these little little flashes. And again, maybe it's because like I hang out with too many folks in the fandom that do that, that do uh, ship art and fan fiction <laughs> yeah. and slash fic and all that stuff. So it's like it's kind of like uh, to say nothing about consuming all of more than meets the pod. It's like, you know, it's like so my brain is kind of starting to get rewired to look for those things. And um, I, I would not be, um, it seems to be there, there is some uh, queer coding for, uh, for Prowl, hmm. the, the more, the more I've seen of him. That's interesting. Well, I'm, I'm excited because now you've given me like a new lens to look mm -hmm. through, right? Like this is, this is what I was hoping for from doing this show with you is, is, is let, help me see something I didn't see before. Um, this is exact point of it, but, but while we're on, cyber ninjas i gotta say you you think i like uh shurikens baby now there's nunchucks michelangelo representation in this oh i was so excited yeah. to see this especially that they're kind of like laser nuts yeah yeah they're ones, like lightsaber right? nunchucks yeah. i mean yeah. and, and we, i mean we, oh my god it's explosion in my pants yeah. here. <laughs> i mean because like we, we've seen all kinds of zany lightsaber designs we've seen like you know switchblade lightsabers double-ended lightsabers we've seen like nightstick lightsabers and my 12 year old brain has been like how come nobody's done lightsaber nunchucks yet well first of all you slice yeah, your saber chucks. but but yeah it's <laughs> it's it, it was it's really cool to see that because like with that blue turquoise teal glow to it you don't know exactly what that texture is you know it's like is it yeah. is it lasers is it electricity it could be it could be all of those things it could be none of those things it could just it, he could he just might have glow sticks or something <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit of a raver right they're on strings he's yeah. putting on light shows for these uh for these uh sumdac police drones doing cyber ecstasy i don't know <laughs> uh but yeah i i love jazz uh the toy is also great it it does the things we're talking about here you know those those uh nunchucks are in the same spot and and make part of the car the pipes on the car mode like that's all there in the toy um very cool very cool that is so neat yeah so we uh back to the battle raging on uh we have optimus and magnus uh accidentally team working each other accidentally <laughs> teamwork <laughs> accidentally teamwork each other uh get a little nice moment there um a glimpse of something that kind of we want yeah um, but ultimately the, the autobots are overwhelmed right oh this yeah is, this is like a last ditch effort we need to get sorry inside the user key to shut down the assembly line that's that's our plan that's our play so i was doing a little word play there early because you said accidentally right and i said axio and and oh. optimus 
enters the scene with boomerang axe right off the bat. I'm like, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I setting you up for the setting season. Setting me up. It's like set the tone. Let's go. Uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, you know, and it's this, this terrific moment too of the earthbound Autobots and the, the elite guard, because it's just like, well, what do we need to do? Uh, sorry, you need to use your key. And it, and it's not Optimus like ordering her saying like, Hey man, you, you need to keep use your key. It's sorry. Saying like, it, it's my name. I I'm the, I'm the, the CEO of uh failing subnac systems. It's like, do, do you know who I am? I am, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. And, do you know who my father is? Exactly. And she's like, well, it's my responsibility. Okay. Cause like that, that trust has been mended. It's like they're, they're, yeah. they're back to being ride or dies. And, you know, even Sentinel is like, you know, dude, what, what the hell, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna like follow the lead of this, this, this germ child person. It's like, what, what, <laughs> what are you doing? And that's kind of where Optimus kind of stands up to him. And, and it's like, it's like, look, buddy, Last time I checked, uh, we we get the reveal here. I mean, I already knew you, you had already told me it's you know nomenclature and all that, but like Prime is a military rank, and they yeah. share the same rank. And it's like th there there is a part of me that wishes I didn't know that before that moment because it is kind of a reveal. Like you know, you're dealing with Sentinel Prime, Optimus Prime. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. It's <laughs> again, it's a 15 year old show. But all I'm saying is like it's that that moment is given the reverence of like oh we're giving you new information and it's like sentinel does not outrank optimus you know he he may have a better seat at the table and he certainly has magnus's ear he's certainly his his lieutenant but they have equal power they have equal rank and optimus puts his trust into his human friend sorry sumdak and follows her lead yeah it, it may be the most badass we've seen oh, optimus so in a way right and it's not like a battle way but it's just like him telling off sentinel it's like fuck yeah the whole episode since sentinel shows up you know optimus has kind of like had his nose rubbed in it and he's he's uh I, it's funny because sentinel earlier said like take it like a real bot the whole time, that's all Optimus has been doing is taking it like a Truly. real bot, you know, just kind of like, all right, all right, well, let, let's just, you know, focus on the task ahead. And, you know, I'm not going to try any waves, even to the point where like Bulkhead goes to pick a fight. And um, it's like, you know, Optimus, stand up for yourself. And he's like, nah, we, you know, we, we, we can't fight amongst ourselves and all that. But here yeah. is where he takes his stand. He's like, he's like, look, motherfucker, you know, this is what's up. You don't know anything about what's going on here um i know a thing or two about a thing or two and i trust sorry i may be an elite guard washout in a glitch detail flunky but the last time i checked you and i still have equal rank so sentinel prime take your order and your condescending attitude and stick in your hard drive you're on my turf now <laughs> yeah sorry yeah Beautiful. i love it yeah. <laughs> love it uh no, it's a yeah, it's a great scene. It's it's a it was a really nice payoff to sort of the timid optimist all through the episode. Then we get a you know a nice whammy there. You know find that breaking point. It's very relatable. That breaking point of like, all right, that's it. You're a fuckhead, kind of a thing. 
Um, so I love that. And then, and then, uh, you know, Mike put, put up your plates, uh, you're about to eat a delicious lunch of rad axe slashing up this console. Um, and I, I like this scene because it does the same thing that uh, Megatron did, right? Like that sort of like uh, act of over violence uh, to reveal the all spark fragment in the helper bots. Um, Optimus kind of does the same thing out of rage. He, you know, he, arguably more rage than Megatron. Yes. Had. Yeah. Cause it's a melee he, weapon. He's pissed. You're right. He's pissed at the situation. It was kind of him when he was chopping up that spider mm-hmm. in the Halloween episode. He just slashes the hell out of this console. Uh, Kylo Ren style. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, Great and, reference. Yep. Yeah. Finally, a Star Wars reference uh, played off. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we get to see that Allspark fragment. But I just think it was I just think it's such a cool juxtaposition how Megatron did the exact same thing, but it was like calculated calm when megatron did it and here it's our beloved leader just going ape shit he's like fine you see there's the all yeah and and it's great and and it's and it's a hunk of it too like whereas in like the helper bot the megatron finds it's a little tiny fragment this is like a a goddamn superman crystal yeah 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 it's a big a nice big chunk there um but it it provides a little proof at least provides a little backstory to uh context to the story optimus has been telling the elite guard yeah and speaking of the elite guard you know you had mentioned that the autobots were um overwhelmed but i i don't think that the these grease grunts were ready to see the full power of the supreme commander oh baby (laughs) i was uh (laughs) That was uh, that was a little treat for old Mikey here. I let's see how did I phrase that? I was like, Ultra Magnus gets to use his rad hammer one last time, fries everything to scrap. Uh, now I know why they call you Ultra Magnus, as I get a boner because yeah. it was just an awesome, uh, awesome payoff there. Talk about a climax! A- absolutely. Well, and it's interesting too because, like, I have a couple things to say about about the sequence because I mean, obviously, it, it, it's amazing and terrific and you know, visceral and satisfying. But it's like you know, one of these things where it's like, I don't, I don't recall if I see Ultra Magnus engaging in combat before that. Like, I don't know if he's like swinging the hammer at people or, or like, um, or anything like. No. I I don't I don't think you do. So. My read on it is that he's been hanging out, just standing there the whole time, just watching, waiting for his moment. Like uh, there's the the, uh, episode of The Simpsons where it's like, you know, it's like all the ninjas and stuff. It's like, oh, what the? Maybe we should go inside. But Marge, that little guy hasn't done anything yet. Look at him. He's going to do something. And you know it's going to be good. And it's, it's very much that. And, but... What what kind of um, made me raise my eyebrow a little bit is, you know, Magnus gives like the, this delightfully badass line. Autobots, disengage and retreat. You know, get the hell out of here. Um, enough of this. Enough of this. And and then, yeah, he uh, uh, again, not unlike Storm, he's like, you know, uh, heavens open up and Strike down upon these drones. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine like if there's like the 
the uh, uh, Transformers animated video game where it's like a side scroller and like you do your special attack and just like, you know, the the lightning just comes down and fries all the bad yeah, guys and stuff. Yeah. You only get to like, yeah, it's like a, like a boss and like altered beast yeah. or something. Yes. Right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you got to get more power ups to be able to, to, to do it again. You only get like one per life or whatever. Right. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because I was actually going to make that a counterpoint to uh, may- maybe that's the implication is it's not something he can use all the time it's not you know it's not this god tier power he's got to you know sort of let it recharge mm-hmm. maybe that's even why they showed him using it on the dinobots so that here it was clear that he couldn't just whip it out again yeah because like what he uses on the dinobots is is certainly a muted version of this like you could tell he's He's truly unleashed uh, something. I almost would have liked if maybe after he does that, he's he's like he's got like a little wobble in his step, like like it's really taking something out of him or something. Uh, yeah. You don't get that, but it, it's it would be interesting to see if this power is further defined a, as we go. But this reminds me of the uh, uh, the scene at the climax of Iron Man Two. Where like, you know, uh, Tony and Rhodey are being overrun by all of these drones and uh, Tony's like, uh, duck. Rhodey's like, what? Duck. You know, and he busts out the, oh, the, yeah. this fucking laser thing and he only gets to do it once. He like, you know, pops out the, the, the spent the cartridge. Yeah. yeah. It, cool sequence. But like, you know, Rhodey in very early Marvel fashion is like, I think you should lead with that next time. Yeah. Sorry, boss. I can only use it once. It's a one off. So I kind of I kind of have the the same type of questions here. It's like if Ultra Magnus could do that, why is he allowing all of these uh, these scrubs and grease grunts to to get their uh, uh, skid plates kicked in for a few before he decides to intervene on on their behalf? Sure. sure. Well, I wonder. I mean, I guess we don't need to keep going in about nah. this, but I, but I wonder sometimes with those. Weapon, you see those a lot in movies. Uh, you know, that's sort of a trope, uh, you know, fight ending move. Mm-hmm. The only use once, but I wonder, I do wonder, like, if you only get to use it once, then you do kind of have to wait till all your enemies have amassed on you, right? Mm. Like, maybe you're just kind of holding back until, like, you know, has every drone possible come off that assembly line? Okay, right. now I'm going to do it. What if I waste my one big shot and then 1500 more come out of the base? So uh, I guess if we're, if we're going, I mean, because we haven't seen it, but if we're going off of, it does only have one shot. Yeah. Uh, I can see why he waited. That's that, that's a real matrix revolution situation there. You know, I, after the, after they pop the EMP and Zion, it's just like, okay, yeah, they killed everything. Oh shit. There, well, there's, there's more. There, there's Bingo, more. There yeah. you go. You know what? I, I stand convinced. Well done. Well done, my friend. <laughs> well, as you know, I live my life by the matrix. Uh, so <laughs> it comes out in weird yeah, ways. Whereas I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Oh no. Dang. So, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so the battle ends and this, this whole, this whole sequence kind of rocks because like, first of all, to the thing that you said, this crystallizes the point you made earlier about that should be Optimus at Magnus's side instead of Sentinel. That Magnus is has settled to have Sentinel Prime at his side because he says this line, it's like, you know, because I, I forget what Sentinel says, but it's something like, You can't honestly believe that. He's a lying, insubordinate crankshaft. And uh, Ultra Magnus is like, tut, tut, tut. No. He may be a little rough around the edges, 
But in the heat of battle, Optimus Prime exhibited the qualities of a true leader. Strategic thinking, determination, and above all, loyalty. Something you could stand to learn a thing or two about, Sentinel Prime. And he like, the thing that I love about um, the, the Transformers animated uh, designs is that they have pupils. And that, like, you can really do some cool stuff with the per the pupils. Yeah. And he gives him this wicked side eye. And he's like, that that's something you can learn a thing or two about. And it's like, ooh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Not so perfect, are you? Yeah, <laughs> in, in your eye, you prick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, a awesome, awesome moment for Optimus, who we've seen getting his balls busted yeah. the whole episode the whole time totally and then and then we kind of end up with uh you know as i've been alluding to um even even after sorry saves her company porter c powell appears uh tells sorry some brutal news i think this is a great uh moment a great cliffhanger here uh to have at the end of episode one didn't maybe didn't even need it didn't see it coming but they they shot it off that uh not only has she been ousted by the board of some deck industries a unanimous vote to be replaced by powell uh now all his chess pieces have moved into checkmate here um, but she also worst of all she can't prove she's a sum deck yeah not only can she not prove she's a sum deck she can't even prove she exists yeah uh and we have to believe this is what her father was going to tell her before he disappeared Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and I like in this to where Porter C. Pell has like this, this, this dossier, this sheet of paper on it. And it's got like, sorry's picture on it. It says no data. <laughs> it's like, it's like that, that's, that's just, that's just bad. Uh, but what a, what a terrific uh, cliffhanger for this to end on that this, you know, sorry is just, you know, shook, shook to her core, you know, a, um, eight-year-old girl who has been thrust into the heart of a galactic civil war, a uh, custodian of uh, one of their their most sacred totems, the the Allspark Key, and her uh, uh, her city is half destroyed, her company is in ruins, and uh, her dad is missing. And just a just in case she doesn't need any more angst. I mean, you you would think that this would be reserved for like a teenager or something like that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, there's no no record of you at all. You do not exist. And that's um, yeah. That's is there a bigger slap in the no, face? No that that is uh, that is brutal. Every time we see Porter C. Powell in this episode, it's like that Vince McMahon meme of like getting progressively yeah, yeah, like yes, yes. <laughs> more excited. <laughs> He's just, and you don't fucking exist. Oh my God. We got to make that meme. That's that. that yeah. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is, that is prime for a two M two F meme for sure. I love it. Word, I love word, it. Word. And that's a, that's the end of the episode. So yeah, I mean, it's like you, um, I mean, we, we hit the ground running so much momentum, so much happens here. And for it to end on a really cool cliffhanger. This is this is just some terrific television comic book storytelling. What a what a killer episode. Way way to start yeah. off strong. Yeah, I loved it. Right, right. Really coming out of the gate here. Uh, you know, we talked a ton about it. There's not too much I want to get into from from the TF Wiki, but mm. um I did I do like to go to TF Wiki to find out the uh foreign uh titles for the episodes. 
Um, this one didn't have a different episode. In in, ja- in Japanese, uh, the title is also the Elite Guard. But over there, they have a name for they must shout it out, but it's a little bit of di- extra dialogue where Ultra Magnus's uh, attack is called the Magnus Hammer Thunder Attack when he wipes out the police drones. They actually give it like a little bit of its own title card type of thing. Oh, that's awesome. I thought that was really exciting. I, I wonder yeah. I wonder if that's on par with uh, T-Poke, you know, with, uh, with, with the poke, you know, um, uh, lug nuts attack, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think that was fan made. And I think this might've been like, uh, like, like extra dialogue in the Japanese dub. Oh, oh, okay. I see. Well, that's even cooler. You know, that, that proud tradition of yelling out your attack as you do. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was sort of like a, you know, Magnus hammer thunder attack. <laughs> That'd be pretty Badass. cool. That'd be pretty cool. I, I love it. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for researching that. I, uh, so I think the, the next thing on the dossier is, uh, Mike's G1 score. Yeah. Dust off this old bad boy. So I, um, I, I, again, I don't have to get too much uh, behind the scenes, but like I've, I do it a couple different ways. Like I kind of like make like, ticks as I go, like little hash marks as I, as I see something. And then usually like when I go through again, it's just like, you know, if something like knocks loose or I think about it, but like, so how G1 is this episode? My, uh, my Olympic scale score for Transformers animated season two, episode one, overall episode 17, my, uh, my G1 score is a 4.4 kind of low, kind of low because like, but higher than I thought it was going to be, if I'm being honest. Well, you you got you got a, a couple different things. One one you have a legacy character in the form of Jazz, so so that that's that's at least a point. And actually, for the fact that uh, we talked a lot already about Philomar's voice work and choices, but like it is meant to evoke that. Um, whereas other iterations of Jazz are kind of trying to be their own thing, kind of like like. I, I don't think anybody would make a case that the 2007 jazz is trying to even touch uh, Scatman Carruthers, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so like, you know, um, uh, points for that. Um, we talked about the shuttle. I'd, uh, you know, I'd, I'd give points for that just because like the, the design, if not in color, it's, uh, it's very specifically uh, meant for that. Metallicato uh, gets a, gets a huge bump. And then um, uh, a a reference that that we kind of blew past earlier when Megatron is talking about his uh, machinations, his new plan where he wants uh, to use space break technology to uh, take Cybertron itself, and you see that Cybertron clearly has two moons. So I think ah, I yeah. that's um, and again, and it's fascinating to me. I wonder if we need to amend the G1 score to specifically a Transformers the movie score. Because, I mean, again, the thing that you and many of our friends over and over, it's like, trust me on this. TFA is rotten with Transformers the movie references. Like, this show is for you. So seeing seeing a Cybertron with two moons and, and looking at the design of them, actually, that version of Cybertron looks pretty okay. Like in terms of yeah. like compared to like 1984's uh, Cybertron with like the whole like bottom corner taken out of it and whatnot. And that was before Unicron showed up. But uh, but the but the moons even look kind of on model for what you would expect uh, two of Cybertron's moons to look like. So 
Um, so yeah, that's uh that is my uh my G one score four point four. Four point four. I'm I'm really curious to see where your score goes this season. A uh, little bit of foreshadowing, I guess. But mm-hmm. this season is is a really big dichotomy of of intrinsic to the plot of Transformers animated exclusively, mm. and lots of you know new characters, uh, new you know. You know what I mean? I do know uh, what you gonna, mean. Yeah, we're going to be seeing some things uh, at the same time. So I'm really, I'm really curious because I feel like every episode from here on out is like, here's this screaming uh, reference to the '80s, and also here's a plot point that couldn't exist anywhere else. Gotcha. Which is what I've grown to really appreciate and and truly love about TFA because it seems to like thread that needle deftly and better than most other iterations. Like most are either so violently different that they're rec- unrecognizable to G1ers or it's just blatant G1 rehash, which right. I have found for for my interest, I'm not interested in either of those things. I, I want something that that um, that that walks that razor's edge, which is again part of why I've been so very satisfied with uh, with my journey with TFA so far. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Ooh. Well, before uh, before we get out of here, there's uh, there's only one thing left to do. We gotta we gotta turn down the lights. Yes, yes. Dim it, everyone. Everyone, hush now for my preview haiku. The here return, please, please. It's the I know, return oh of the Back of the, the Michael snow. Anders yeah. preview haiku, a, a preview, if you will. <laughs> everyone's been waiting for, right? Uh, like this. <laughs> it's one of my favorite bits. I I love it. Uh, so here we go daughter on her own with the elites still in town no time to lose heads <laughs> good jazz hands jazz hands jazz hands yeah good stuff oh, jazz good hands that's fun this episode oh my god yes <laughs> <laughs> as he just swirling nunchucks yeah Let's get the jazz chucks. Forget the hands. Chucks. Jazz chucks. <laughs> jazz chucks. <laughs> Where it's just it's just the sound of whirling nunchucks. Yes. Oh, love it. M- Master love of it. the whirling nunchucks. Well, I know about you, baby, but I think we're back. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Feels good. Yeah, man. No, good stuff, man. Oh yeah, and and, and make good choices and eat pizza and all that, all, all that, all that other stuff. <laughs> um. And bye, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> pistols at dawn since we're stealing everybody else's shit too that's haven't that's trademarked right. it yet boys big mistake <laughs> big mistake <laughs> big mistake big huge i have to go shopping now oh that's what it is it'll be like uh they, they go to like copyright autopod decepticast and it's like uh, copyright two mics two furious llc <laughs> yeah <laughs> Want to be a guest on the show? Send us an email, 2mikes2furious at gmail.com. Interact with us on social media. You can follow 2mikes2furious on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 2mikes2furious. You are Mike. You are Mike.